Hello, you may or you may not know that I've just been on Celebrity Mastermind. I know Celebrity Mastermind. I don't consider myself to be one. I don't really know how that happened, but it did anyway. Anyway, my chosen charity was Maytree. And of course, on the show, you don't get a chance to talk about your chosen charity. And I've realised that for a lot of people, they might have thought, what's Maytree? So we've made a short podcast where I spoke to Sadia, who works at Maytree. And Maytree, for those who don't know, it's a residential respite centre for people who are feeling suicidal. So in the next 25, 26 minutes, you'll find out a little bit more about Maytree and their work and also a general discussion as well uh, about mental health and suicidal feelings. No, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, you know, we always welcome support. And yeah, I mean, we, we're unique in terms of what we offer. And, you know, sadly, people will need services like us more than ever at the moment. So thank you. Um, so I'm curious, like, how, how are you finding the pandemic? How has it affected you? And how are you finding lockdown three? It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know how you found it, because I, I think one of the intriguing things about lockdown is, for instance, people with anxiety have found that it's almost easier some of them not all of them obviously but I've spoken to a few people who said that because the framework is so specific whereas in normal existence where we get you know there are so many different places where you might get that paranoia anxiety etc now you go well this is the box we're in and there's uh-huh. this virus and so I found it very interesting talking and then talking to other people and to therapists about how many you know how they've been dealing with, with you know uh, uh, people and, so, and and on the other side of course for a lot of other people it's been a, a total uh, a horrible realization of the potentials of mental health hasn't it and and where it can yeah. go yeah absolutely I mean I do think for people with anxiety it's the strange thing of that it's weirdly validating it's like you spend your life waiting for the big catastrophe to happen while now it's actually happening so your anxiety is somewhat rooted it's not just paranoia it's like rooted in reality and it's a bit of a collective experience um that's not to say that it's pleasant though um so do you have any advice or tips or things that have helped you to cope uh with your mental health or things that anyone who might be watching this um might find helpful to hear see my thing is that i I just i always descend into busyness so i have to work all the time and that was the thing that i i realized when the uh lockdown began immediately with my friend trent and my friend josie long we went right every morning we're going to do a live show and right. we'll find loads of guests and we would get you know mark gatis and joe brand and all these people you know, like like oh, are you free and everyone was free mm-hmm. so so i think that that is my my coping mechanism for most of life is to perpetually work which of course isn't necessarily healthy and I'm not very good at downtime and I've never really been very good at downtime but it has meant that I I think you know every now and again it's very strange being someone who spends their life traveling to live in my attic you know that's mm-hmm. an, it's been it's, it's an odd experience but I think for all the th- and I think I'm also in a very fortunate position in terms of the fact that due to the amount of work I had in the previous few years I don't at the moment have financial fears whereas of course a lot of people have very tangible I mean it's an interesting thing isn't it and I, I'm interested to know what you think on this which is there's tangible anxiety tangible despair and then there is I don't know if ethereal despair or what the right way of saying it is it there because so I think sometimes you can go well this is it's very specific mm-hmm. and and in, in some ways I think in mental health you can see why that, that 
can be seen by people as you know being a better position to go well i know exactly what i'm worried about and mm-hmm. then there's that other one which is it just all of these different ghosts that can appear and you can't mm-hmm. define it and that's also i suppose i wonder you know it, with maytree do you find yourself one of the problems i think for some people with mental health when it can really build to a point uh, which is of utter desperation is the shame of even mm. believing that you might be different that bit of mm. just going oh well there's so people dealing with really awful things in in, in the world and well, I, I don't have the right to mm. feel despairing i mean do you see that quite a lot we do absolutely we do um you know it doesn't help that we live in a culture that finds it really hard to talk about any feeling at all and of course all feelings are valid um from the minor to the to the major but you know feelings are not um you know it is relative but it's, it's not an it's not an olympics you know it's not a competition and what you feel is what you feel that's your reality and um and i do think just to pick up on what you said you know at the moment we are living in a time with there's actual anxiety that you can pin your your worries on and then there's the generalized existential anxiety and despair that some people live with all the time um so you know we kind of have this strange perfect storm and it's very very hard to talk about to talk about suicide it's hard to even say the word for some people for a lot of people actually um people find it easy to talk around it talk under it talk above it talk side of it but no one really wants to go there um so you know we do you know we do help people who you know maybe have never shared it before they the people at Maytree might be the first people they've ever talked to about it because of course you know you want to talk to your loved ones but they might become really afraid. They might overreact. They might underreact because they want it to go away. Um, and they, of course, worry for the outcome of their loved ones. So um, it can help to have a bit of distance from it, but um, it helps to not shame the feeling. Um, it, everyone's lived experience is valid. And what you're going through is, is real. And it doesn't matter if objectively speaking, someone might have it worse. What does that, you know, what does that mean to you? Um, so, you know, that's kind of where we try to help, is to validate and reassure people. How did you get get involved? How, where, where did your, your, your interest begin? So I actually used to be a volunteer myself before I um, joined the team. Um, I've always been interested in psychotherapy and people's mental health. Um, and I really wanted to just get experience working with people directly. A friend of mine used to volunteer, so that's how I heard about Maytree. Um, so then I started volunteering as well. Um, and, you know, it's very uh, enjoyable isn't the right word, but fulfilling. It's very, it's very rewarding. It's very rich. Um, you really get to the to the heart of the matter. You really get down to brass tacks, if you will. You know, there's no, uh, there's no small talk. It's all big talk. And um, you know, it's very rich having people share their experiences with you. It's quite an honour actually to have people open up to you and to trust you with some of the you know, the deepest, darkest things that maybe they've ever lived through. And um, you know, and you can see, uh, I don't want to say change, but you can see the subtle shift that happens when you allow space, when you allow space for the feelings. They start to work on themselves. It's like the stubborn, like feelings that may be very, very stubborn. They just soften just a little bit if you just allow them to be um, without judging them or without shaming them. And I'm sure, you know, we've all maybe had that experience with ourselves, you know, when you're having a hard time and then you tell yourself, oh, that was so shit what I did. Why did I do that? That was really stupid. Do you feel better or do you feel worse? You probably feel worse. 
But if you kind of sit with it and go, okay, I can sort of see why that happened and I don't feel great about it, but okay. Then you might be able to move past it. But the more you judge yourself and the more judgment you might maybe get reinforced by other people, the feelings just kind of double down. I, I found it, there was, I saw a friend of mine, um, Josh, who's a, a, a therapist, and he said one of the big breakthroughs in therapy mm-hmm. is the realisation that you don't have to be as good as you think you have to be. Mm-hmm. That actually, do you know what? Sometimes you aren't a great human being. And that's not, and I think, and, and I find it from a neuroscientific point of view as well, I find it very interesting, which is as we've had these discoveries, about the fact that there are so many different things unconsciously going on in your mind that lead to any action you take, that a lot of it is not you, Mm. that I actually think that that gives us real genuine evidence at that point when you make a mistake. Yeah, you were there, but you know what? It wasn't all your fault. There was a lot of other stuff going on. (laughs) Exactly. We could definitely say you were there, but beyond that, you know, there's not too much more. I mean, you know, what is it they say you're not? You're not the feelings. You're the one that watches the feelings. Mm. You're the one that's observing the feelings. That's who you actually are. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you don't get past anything by judging it. That's the thing. Um, you can't move past it. You just get stuck in it. And that's, I think that that's a common theme that, you know, not just of suicidality, but depression. And if we think about suicidality as maybe the final symptom of depression, you know, like that's kind of like when, you know, you could describe suicide as depression ultimately killing you. And, um, you know, you see that a lot in, in depression is a feeling of stuckness, you know, a real feeling of stuckness that you can't move beyond where you are. You can't, you can't envisage anything beyond where you are. Um, but I, I, and there, there is a way past that, you know, even when people are at that point, I think if they're seeking help, there is some part of them that knows that there's something beyond, um, but you just don't know how to get there on your own. I find that so in, in the, um, in a book that I, I wrote a while ago, uh, part of the chapter was about um, suicide. And um, I ended up, because I, I initially it started off with a piece of stand-up. I, um, I was out in Australia and I got to know one of the people who kind of basically looked after me while I was, while I was out in, in Adelaide. And one day she said to me, she said, you should do comedy about suicide. And the reason was that her daughter had taken her life. And she felt that because it was always within you know suicide was a place once you went to hospital once you went to a, an institution uh-huh. there, there were places it was spoken about but the idea that it might be talked about just in in the, in the flippant world of comedy or you know by a musician or whatever it was and and i found that very interesting because uh-huh. then when i of course it's the one bit of sound up more than any other where because I like to improvise and muck around, but the moment I got to that bit, my brain was at its most concentrated. I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever felt because, even though it didn't mean that I had to do it as a scripted piece, mm-hmm. I knew that if I got distracted by the wrong thing, every, all the mm-hmm. intention in it was gone. And of course, mm-hmm. that was very interesting to then talk to so many people because after a gig, and you know, sometimes I would I would normally try and work a way of setting it up that would mean that people have been given some warning. So I, and so, and then I would have like what someone I'd known who I didn't know had had uh, it turned out he'd uh, attempted suicide um, on on more than one occasion, and he told me this thing. He said, he said it was such an odd thing. He said on one of the the times of despair. Uh, and he decided it was a Friday, and he said, you know, I decided I was going to kill myself. And then suddenly I went, don't kill yourself on the Friday. You'll miss the weekend. Do it on Sunday. Now that, to me, 
is a is a remo- yeah, and that shows you when mm-hmm. you were just talking about that strange detached feeling mm-hmm. that he could still logically look at that. Mm. I mm. hate my life, but the weekend will be okay, and then I'll do it. That that is, I think, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of mm-hmm. feelings that are to, to me are, mm-hmm. you know, we just don't hear about that that right. state of mind enough. Absolutely, and I think uh, we don't. We live in a culture that finds it hard to talk about suicide in any form, let alone in comedy. Um, that feels like very much a taboo subject. And, um, you know, I mean, that's a, a wonderful example of how, first of all, that sometimes the banality of the thought sometimes, and also that, you know, can you just hold on? Is that one tiny thing? Is that one tiny, tiny thing to live for? Even if it's as small as just the weekend, that could be enough to kind of put it off. Yeah. That's it's... quite, that's really interesting. And it's, yeah quite powerful actually there was another friend of mine who when she was she was going to jump off a building and then she realized that she only had her socks on and she started to think well hang on a minute um should I pop my shoes on or should I take my socks off because you don't want to be found just with your socks on and she spent so long in this frame of mind that of course she had that realization she went do you know what Mm -hmm. if I'm worried about how I'm found Mm. I don't think, yeah, and she found, Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is the right way of saying it, you can tell me, but basically she found that sense of self Mm -hmm. within Mm -hmm. that thought process. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's only by examining it and going closer into the thoughts and digging a bit deeper under the surface that maybe she was like, oh, actually, I'm not sure I'm ready to do this. I don't know if I really want to do this. Um, But if you kind of ignore all the thoughts, you might just be more likely to just kind of just, you know, go ahead and do something hasty. Um, but that's, I mean, there is, there is a, a there is a dark humour in it. Mm. And you maybe you have to find that sometimes. Um, but there, there's an absurdity. There's an absurdity to, to thoughts like that. On the one hand, to have those two conflicting thoughts, I don't think I want to live anymore, but also, what about my shoes and socks? Yeah, it's such a... How do you amate you then? Because is it is it right? It's it's uh, three nights and four days. It's residential. It's is it? Well, I know. Four obviously, nights, five days. Yeah. Four nights, five days. Four so, nights, five days. Yeah. So, so what can, can you tell me? If, you, if first yeah. of all, how is it that someone will find themselves at Maytree? What 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 mm-hmm. is is there a normal mm-hmm. kind of course of events that might might lead to Maytree? Yeah, there can be. Not not always. It's always slightly different. But um, so for for people who refer themselves. Uh, who contact us directly themselves um so if when people are maybe googling like methods or or ways that they might end their lives um, will come up as one of the search results so people do often find us like that um and uh yeah so once we have contact with somebody we'll spend a couple of weeks over the phone um getting to know them just finding out a bit about their circumstances and you know just exploring like what, what are the circumstances that's led to this point because it's never just one thing it's always a series of things, uh, sometimes compounding stresses and traumas and you know, things happening at the worst possible time. Um, and so we spend a bit of time building up some trust. You know, they might start exploring their feelings and how things have been for them at that time of their lives. Um, and then we'll discuss, you know, is this the right thing? Do they think that coming to have a stay at our centre is the right thing for them? Um, also, people do get referred by, you know, sometimes other healthcare professionals, um, of, of any kind so so you know we take different types of referrals or sometimes even family and friends um you know it, but from that point of referral whether it's themselves or someone else 
we spend a bit of time getting to know them but you know, everyone's circumstances are different we do have guests from all walks of life and I think if you're trying to look at patterns or themes in terms of how people are feeling when they arrive at that point where they're seeking help and they're talking to someone on the phone and they're deciding this is where they are and do they need some help do they need some services like us to help them it's a sense of hopelessness it's a sense of disempowerment it's a sense of that things won't ever change and again it's that stuckness it's that stuckness it's the inability to foresee a future that actually seems livable but also plausible you know a good future does not seem plausible it seems that out of their reach from the point that they're at that seems out of reach um but you know i think anyone no matter how much despair they're in if they're seeking help there's a tiny part of them even if it's 99 despair and one percent something else that something else is telling them that there's a way to live they just don't know yet what that way looks like and they don't know how to get there so what would what might happen then over over that that five days mm-hmm. how might a, a stay unfold so um we have a team of volunteers and staff who are really well trained and every day uh, we encourage the guests to spend some time with the volunteers that are on shift or the staff that are, that are around um and they might have one or two sort of sessions if you will um with that person and we call it befriending because it's not therapy even though a lot of our volunteers are maybe training uh, in careers that's similar to therapy but not all certainly not all um and they just spend time they spend time listening they spend time exploring, asking questions, getting curious about what that person's been going through, what it's been like. I mean, I think for most people, I don't think I don't think most people have experienced five consecutive days of exploring your life and how you're feeling and like traumas, difficult events, challenging events. Because over those five days, it's like you go deeper and deeper and deeper. The fact that they're consecutive and it's kind of all contained in one stay. Um, I mean, I, I've never had that. You know, I don't know many people that have had that outside of that kind of setting. Um, and it's very, I guess, it's, it's, it can be quite healing, I suppose. It's having um, someone listen with empathy and with reassurance and someone who's sufficiently distant from you as well, that they're not, they're not going to be scared by the suicidal feelings. They're not scared... They, they can they can hold it they've heard it before they've heard thoughts of that nature before they're not afraid of it um, because i think even for some people they're worried about going to their gp maybe even their psychotherapist they're scared to really say that they're feeling this way um because they're seen as a liability or that they're going to do something rash you know that they're not in their right mind um and i think just being able to just let that guard down and just being able to just be completely honest without worrying about burdening that person, without thinking that you're going to shock that person, uh, they can hold it. They've been trained. They know what to expect. They've heard it. They're not scared of it. And that takes a lot of the pressure off. Takes a lot of the pressure off that they don't have to be alive for anyone else. They don't have to. They don't have to do anything for anyone else. They don't have to worry about making that person feel better about their their difficult thoughts. Um, it's incredibly um, unburdening. I think. Um, so you know over those five days you know you might not uh you might struggle to to start talking very deeply straight away i we find that over the course of a few days the person starts to get more comfortable they start to become more relaxed you know they start to find insights and i think having the different uh volunteers and staff talk back to them offer different insights and reflections back to them they start to pick up on things or maybe notice patterns or things that have happened in their past that maybe they hadn't 
has someone give them insights on before. Um, and, and I think it's also about, you know, leaving your other life responsibilities behind, you know, everything's taken care of at the service, the house is cleaned, meals are all provided for. Um, so you're not having to run around and do other things that like we really encourage people to use that time just for them um, and to use that time. And also it's not to say that's just focus on talking, you know, people go for walks, people spend time in the garden, there's arts and crafts, you can do cooking, things that just help you get into some state of safety and relaxation um, or just like that, just like calm your system down a little bit. Um, because people, you know, arrive, uh, at, you know, with us, you know, sometimes very keyed up, you know, very, very stressed, you know, in a state of chronic stress that they've maybe been holding for years in some cases. Well, it must be, I mean, it must be a frightening thing to actually have that moment of going, I'm here now. Mm. I, I think of the, 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 the short period of time where I went and, and saw a, a therapist and ugh, the nausea before you, um, you know, go right back, go ring the doorbell now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and all that, mm -hmm. you know, just for, for something yeah. like that. So yeah, I it takes a lot of vulnerability, a lot of vulnerability. Absolutely. It takes a lot of courage, a lot of courage to seek help and to turn up and to actually uh, step into that process. It takes a lot of courage. Yes. What What would you, what do you think are the changes we need to see? And I mean this in the broadest way in mm -hmm. terms of, I mean, from talking to a lot of people about, you know, it, it seems like a, such an important part of, of your work is that someone says, I was listened to, I was heard. Mm. And I also could say the words that I wouldn't, you know, I didn't even yeah. want other people to listen to that, 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 um, and talking to various people about this, it, it, it does seem, you know, one of the problems, I mean, in fact, again, going back to the book, even the, I did an interview with someone who said, cause I wrote a little bit about suicidal thoughts, you know, uh, my own and, um, and someone said, you know, what would your son think? Do you worry what your, your son will think? And I think, well, I wrote an honest, hopefully an honest book with honest things. And hopefully what I would think is that he would go, oh, our dad sometimes had those thoughts too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, and, and that's what, and I, I thought it was interesting, as you said before, that taboo level. That yeah. I mean, and it was, it's, it's in a very, I mean, that, that's something that fascinates me is that there are, from what I can gather, there's about three different levels and that many people, many people will have suicidal thoughts they will never take yeah. suicidal actions but they yes. will have suicidal thoughts and the moment yeah. that you start to open that up mm. and as you said and it kind of reveals what can I, a, 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 an absurdity which is an absurdity yeah. that really can be talked about and which yeah. in which you can't you know and so yeah sorry that's a, i've asked you 17 questions in one and then actually gone on a monologue instead so i apologize <laughs> for that but but what what do you think are the things that we need to to change maybe about ourselves and, and about our society in terms of, of uh, attitudes to mental health? Well, I think actually that they're linked. So I think we need to change ourselves in order to change our society. And I think that means showing ourselves some actual compassion, not just use the words, not just say that we accept things, that we're okay with things, it's actually showing ourselves compassion because I think we live in a society that's a little bit allergic to real feelings, to talking about real feelings, expressing real feelings. And actually, it's just a reflection of how we are dealing with our own feelings. I think we reject other people's feelings when we can't deal with our own. And so I think we need to practice. We need to start by practicing showing ourselves some actual compassion. Because then we expand our capacity to deal with difficult feelings in other people. And when we can do that, we help each other. That's how we actually help each other. 
it's not going to make difficult feelings go away. It's not going to make really difficult feelings like suicidal feelings go away or stop. But they're they're not abnormal. They're not outside of the range of feelings. All feelings are valid, right? And I think if we could start to build some tolerance for those scary things, it starts to become more manageable. And then you kind of start this uh, virtual cycle, then people being able to talk about it more. And then if people talk about it more, they get support. And if they get support, they're less likely to actually take action on it. So I think we've got to get less scared of the feelings. We've got to show actual compassion in the really difficult moments, not just, you know, talking about it on social media or writing about it or, um, you know, it has to be an embodied thing. It has to be an embodied thing. And we have to show that we have to work through our judgment and our fear and our shame. You know about these types of feelings there's nothing shameful about any feelings that's actually the truth of it that's when you actually work with people in crisis the thing that actually gets them through it is is, is working through shame and realizing that the shame doesn't belong there can i ask you you can pass on this mm. if you want to yeah. uh but how has working at maytree changed you do you think hmm it's just very humbling. It's very humbling. It, you know, it makes me grateful for just a normal day. You realize that some people are living with things that are, some people are in a state of perpetual despair and things that feel unbearable. And when I'm having just like a meh kind of day, um, it gives me some perspective. You know, not every day is going to be like a, oh, wow, wonderful day. And that's fine that's fine. You know, just feeling all right is more than good enough, especially in the pandemic. I have to say that's been one of my mottos in the pandemic is I don't strive to be more than fine. And that's more than good enough right now. And um, yeah, it's really humbling. And um, it also gives me a continuous reminder of um, we're really all in it together. People can't get through these types of crises on their own. Suicide is a is a public health issue actually so it, it makes me think about the bigger picture as well and, and about you know the the multiple levels of support that a person needs to really live their lives and, and be okay in their lives brilliant how do people find out more about maytree then where should they go uh so you can go to maytree.org.uk uh we are on twitter instagram and facebook at maytree respite brilliant thank you very much Sodia. Thanks for listening, or watching, or watching and listening. Well, hopefully if you were watching, you were listening, or you weren't just watching. Anyway, look, uh, the thing is, thank you. And I just wanted to mention that at Cosmic Shambles, we have got loads of other shows, some of which do deal with some of the topics we've just talked about. And in particular, I'd recommend Brain Yapping with Rachel England and Dean Burnett, which talks about psychology and different ideas about mental health. Bye-bye.